Hello and welcome to the Behind the Brawl podcast brought to you by Barbells for Boobs, where we believe in rad breast health care for all and strive to improve quality of life post-diagnosis. I'm your host, Zayana Hansen, and the founder of this incredible organization. Thank you for joining us. Today, we have Maureen Green, a breast cancer survivor, mom, wife, runner, and CrossFitter coming out of Staten Island, New York. Hello. <laughs> Welcome, Maureen. <laughs> Thank you. Ooh, New York, New York. How far yeah. is Staten Island from the city? Like, get, Let's give everyone a perspective on really how New York are you. Well, <laughs> technically, Staten Island is part of New York City. New York City is made up it of is? the five boroughs. Yep. Is it considered a borough? We are the forgotten borough, as we ah. like to say. Yeah. So we're technically part of the city. Um, you know, we have all the resources that New York City gets, um, but we're much more suburban, I would say, than you would think of New York City as being. I went to college in Brooklyn, and I oh, never okay. knew Staten Island was one of the. We probably drove through at some point, um, but you've probably never been there. Yeah, yeah, I probably went over a bridge or something yeah. to get. Yeah, to get. To my destinations. Exactly. Well, welcome to the show. We are so excited Thank to you. have you. Um, I have dis- I discovered you, um, you know, this year. So <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> we, discovered you guys way yeah, back in yeah. 2012. So oh, I'm so excited to hear about this. Yeah. I can't wait. Um, so I'm going to start the podcast with the same question I start every single person, um, just to get to know you a little bit more. But who are you? Who is Maureen Green? Where you mm. come from? Um, I'll start background. Where are you from? Where are you born? Where are you raised? All that good stuff. Okay. I'll start from the beginning. Um, I was born and raised here in Staten Island. I've lived here my whole life, except for college. I went upstate New York. Um, I always played sports growing up. I was super into classical ballet for a little while, but when I got to high school, I joined the cross country team and it was kind of like light bulb, like, Oh, running. Like, this is my sport. This is what I'm good at. Um, so I ran through high school and I continued running in college. Um, I made some of some lifelong friends, you know, girls from my team that I'm still friends with now. And then once I graduated from college, it was kind of like, Oh man, like I don't have that camaraderie anymore. I don't have that team. And now I have to work. I was commuting to the city every day. Um, so it took a few years, but then I finally got back into running. Um, I never liked to run by myself, but now I can't imagine running with anyone else. So (laughs) I guess I've come a long way. Um, but in 2012, I started doing CrossFit. I had a, a friend who had started doing it and he introduced me to the gym that he had joined and I went for my first foundations class and they did like a short workout and I finished like dead last. I was so embarrassed, but I was like, I'm coming back because Mm -hmm. I need to get better at this. (laughs) Um, so I kept going obviously. And that October, I think I joined in May that October was the first barbells for boobs event that I ever did. Um, but at that time, you know, it was like, oh, let's wear pink and, you know, do grace. And I don't know if it's ironic or unironic, but I absolutely hate the workout grace. <laughs> no, it's it, it was very intentional. <laughs> yeah, it's like my least favorite it. workout. <laughs> um, so, yeah, through the years, I would kind of alternate where I would focus on running more or CrossFit. Um, and... Uh, you know, got married, um, got pregnant. And while I was pregnant, I started doing birth fit and I loved it. I felt great. Um, but then <laughs> when my daughter was born, I just feel like from there, it was like, things just weren't as I had expected them to go, even just from her birth. I was like, well, ideally, I don't want to have drugs. And, you know, I want to have a natural birth as much as I can. And um, my water broke and I didn't go into labor. So I had to be induced and it didn't really work. And I ended up having, um, an unplanned C-section. I don't know if it would be an emergency or not, but it was definitely unplanned. Um, she was brought into the NICU and, you know, I didn't even get to hold her until the next day. It was just this very, 
like unexpected experience that I wasn't prepared for, I guess. Um, and just the first few months of her life, I just kind of, I guess I struggled a little bit with like the anxiety of being a new mom. I had a lot of trouble with breastfeeding, but it was like, I put a lot of pressure on myself to continue doing it. Um, and at a certain point after maybe two and a half months, she just stopped nursing. Like she stopped. She didn't, I, looking back, I wonder like, is that when things were starting to happen? Did she know something Mm -hmm. was wrong? Like was, was it her instinct telling her? Um, so I brought her to the pediatrician. I said, I don't know what to do. She's not gaining weight. She's not nursing. And the doctor basically shamed me and was like, this is your fault. You're not producing enough milk for her. Um, so I never went back to that doctor, obviously. I was going to say, please tell me you fired that doctor. <laughs> yeah. My husband was like, boy, you cannot go back to see her. And I was like, yeah, you're right. That was pretty mean, huh? <laughs> um, so I ended up switching to formula because it just was too much for me. Like the pressure I was putting on myself, um, the expectations I had of how it was going to be. Um, so that actually did help me kind of like let go of some of the anxiety and feel better about, um, just being a mom, I guess. And then, uh, that summer. So now we're in like, my daughter was born in November. Um, and I was diagnosed in August, the following August. So at some point over that summer, I had like rolled over in bed and I'm like, I, I kind of like feel something on the right side, right under my arm that's really weird. And I kind of just went to sleep and didn't really think about it. And then the next day I'm feeling around for it. I'm like, well, I can't feel it. So it must've just been, who knows what it was, you know, maybe it's a cyst or maybe it was something from breastfeeding that just hasn't worked itself out yet. Um, and then a few weeks later I felt it again and my husband happened to be looking at me as I was feeling it. And he's like, what's, you know, what's going on? I said, I think I feel something like maybe a lump. I don't know. Mm. He was like, well, call the doctor tomorrow. Like call the doctor first thing. Like, yeah, 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 I'll call. And then I had like a moment of like, oh my God, what if this is something? And then I, you know, talked myself off the ledge and was like, okay, it's, there's no way it's something. I'm 34. Like there's no way. Um, But then the next morning, my husband was like, you just call the doctor. You need to just get it checked and feel better about it. I'm like, okay, okay, I'll call. So I call and they're like, well, we have a new, um, a new doctor in the practice and she can see you today. I was like, well, that's great because I'm the type of person, like if this is going to take too long, I'm just going to cancel it (laughs) and not go. (laughs) So, um, I went in and she's like, I don't feel anything. (laughs) So I said, do you mind if I, I only feel it if I lay in this exact position, do you mind if I lay down and get in this position. She was like, absolutely go ahead. And then she could feel it when I did that. And she said, well, let's get an ultrasound and make sure it's not anything. I don't think it's anything, but let's just double check. I said, okay. And, um, I just like burst into tears. (laughs) She's like, Oh my God, what, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just so nervous. This is, I've, I just thought you were going to tell me to go home. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, she was like, well, I don't think it's anything. We'll send you for the ultrasound and just make sure it's nothing. So I made the appointment and um, I'm just going to backtrack a little bit. Cause during this time we were selling our house in Staten Island and buying a house in Long Island. And we were going to do a big renovation on that house and all this stuff. So um, we have a lot going on at this time which is why I probably would have canceled the appointment if they hadn't been able to see me right away. So I was able to make the appointment for the ultrasound two days later. And they're like, well, you're over 30. You have to have a mammogram. And (laughs) I'm embarrassed to admit, but I cried again because I was like, I don't want a mammogram. It's going to hurt. You know, I was being a little bit of a baby. My mom was like, Maureen, it's it's not that bad. Like, (laughs) She's and like, I mean, you're going to have to get used to this one way or another. Right. In <laughs> retrospect, I'm like, that's what I cried about. I mean, <laughs> come on. So I got the mammogram and there's like all these red flags that I completely missed. And in hindsight, I'm like, how did I not know something was wrong? Because I was just like, well, this is silly. They're going to, 
check and be like, no, it's nothing or it's a cyst. You're fine. So I had the mammogram and they send me in for the ultrasound. And, you know, I don't know what a a breast ultrasound is like because I haven't had one before. So the technician did it and then came back in with the um, radiologist and she did it again, which to me could have been completely normal. I don't know. Um, And then she was like, okay, we need to biopsy three different spots. And I was like, what? In my mind, I'm not thinking, oh my God, something's wrong. I was like, okay, but doesn't that feel like overkill? You know, like, do we really need to do three? Um, And then the next red flag, they were like, we're going to walk you down to the scheduling office Mm -hmm. so that you don't have to go home and call. I was like, what? These people are so nice. This is so great. Like, it didn't cross my mind. Like, they can tell that something is wrong and they need to do this biopsy as soon as possible. Um, didn't cross my mind at all. So then I went down to the office and they sat me down outside and someone came out to get me. And the first thing she said was, Oh my God, you're so young, which should have Mm -hmm. been another red flag that like, you know, they could tell something was wrong, but of course went right over my head. Um, so they were able to schedule the biopsies for the following Monday. And, um, so I went in and that was, you know, it is what it is that. So this really day, hurt. yeah, this day you had just gone in for a mammogram and by the end of that appointment, you now have had an ultrasound and are in an urgent, you know, scheduling with, you know, for, for biopsy as soon as possible by the mm-hmm. end of this one appointment. Yeah. When did, when did, the, when did a red flag come to you? When were you like, Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Uh, Literally like when they said it's cancer. I don't think I, I like had convinced myself that everything was fine. Mm. I like, you know, I don't know if maybe I'm just an optimist or what, but I was just like, yeah, no, there's no way it's cancer. I'm 34. I don't have a family history. Um, so at the end of the biopsy, they're like, we should have results in, they're going to tell you three to five days, but it's, it usually comes back in two days. So I'm like, okay, it was a Monday. And how so, long, how long from that, like the mammogram appointment to that Monday, like what day of that week was your mammogram appointment? How long did you have to wait for those biopsies? So my first appointment with my doctor was Tuesday. I had the ultrasound and mammogram on Thursday, and then I had the biopsies on Monday. And in the meantime, in your life, you're looking at this new home, your, your life is happening back here and yeah. all these appointments are happening. And, and again, one thing that I've learned in breast cancer, like takes over your life. Just even hearing yeah. that of three appointments within a week, that is just an example of what breast cancer looks like. Right. <laughs> like but your it, life it is happening. But all these yeah. appointments are going to start happening though. <laughs> and the crazy part is I was so like, I didn't really let anybody, I'm a stay at home mom. I didn't really let anybody watch my daughter. So this was kind of new to me to be like, mom, can you watch her? Cause I need to go to the doctor. Like it was kind of rare that that sort of thing would happen. I mean, she was a and baby. Now, how, old was she, how old was she? She was nine months. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's so crazy. I could, yeah. that is, yeah, you're so, so I, I, I want it really quick. Yeah. Your daughter's nine months old. Mm-hmm. That was the non-red flag. You're so focused as a new mom. Yeah. You're so focused on just being a mom and doing your best not to, to just to make sure this little thing is like breathing at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> like you're so focused and hyper-focused on this one person's life yeah. that your life almost, you know, that transition of going from, um, selfish to non-selfish, <laughs> which is called becoming a mom overnight yeah. that I understand why you didn't have any red flags. I wouldn't have either. Yeah, I would have been like, no, I got to get home to my kid. Like I've got to, you know, I've got to, I have a a huge responsibility that just kind of like, I need to do this. I wouldn't have thought about myself. Yeah. And if it hadn't been for my husband telling me, like, just call the doctor and reminding me that next morning, I probably wouldn't have. And who knows Mm -hmm. at what point would it have gotten to that I would have said, I, I guess I really have to check this out. I don't know. I'm glad I don't have to find out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I am too. So after so you I had the ultrasound, biopsy, yeah. You had, so you had Monday, you have your biopsies, and you had to have three separate biopsy marks. Well, they do it all at once, once um, but it's three and different. it was all in the same area. It was like way on the right side of my right breast, so almost under my arm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so they were actually biopsying. One of the biopsies was a lymph node. Um, so it had actually already spread to a lymph node, but I think it was the just proximity, like the cancer itself was very close to my lymph nodes to begin with, I think. Um, so anyway, so I had the biopsies on Monday and they were like, well, you know, someone will call you in two days. So Tuesday, I'm like, okay, nobody's going to call me today. Wednesday, I'm checking my phone, checking my phone. Thursday, I'm like, okay, somebody just call me. Come on. Like, just tell me that everything's fine. I hate when they do. I had convinced myself that everything had come back benign. And that's why I wasn't hearing anything. Cause like no news is good news. I'm like, just, but just, can't they just call me and tell me this? And I had like myself worked up like Friday morning, I'm calling them. And sure enough, Friday morning, they called me and they're like, Oh, do you, can you come in to talk to the doctor about your results? I'm like, okay, sure. And I had myself convinced that she wanted me to come in because she was a new doctor (laughs) and that she just wanted to practice like talking to patients or something. This is the, this is your, the this depth is the of stories, my optimism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So at the same time, um, Friday mornings, I used to take my daughter to music class and a good friend of mine, her daughter's the same age and we would go to music class together. And she happened to send me a text message right after I heard from my doctor. And she said, Oh, I can't make it to music today. I'm going to see Dr. So-and-so. Um, so I won't be at music. I'm like, uh, we go to the same doctor. So I'm also not going to be at music. You might see me at the doctor's office. And she was like, oh, what's going on? Um, Mm. So I kind of gave her like a quick overview. Like, you know, I felt something. So I had some biopsies and I'm seeing the new doctor. So I think she just wants to, you know, you know, have a a face-to-face conversation. And her mom actually is a breast cancer survivor. So she kind of like talk me off any ledge I might've been on was like, yeah, it's probably, you know, I'm sure everything's fine. Um, and I called my mom to come and watch my daughter and she's like, Maureen, I'm coming with you to the doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not going by yourself. I'm like, mom, you're crazy. Everything's fine. You stay here. Take Amelia to music class. Like I'm not, I, I don't want you to come with me. <laughs> she <laughs> would not let me leave without her. She's like, I'm coming with you. I'm like, that's fine, but you're not coming in the room. You have to stay in the waiting room. <laughs> She's like, okay, that's fine. So we go in and another red flag was that the doctor's office was like, come in whenever you want. We'll see you whenever you want. <laughs> like, Just get in here. That. Like, <laughs> it's obviously bad news. I can't believe that I didn't realize what was happening. Um, so she basically like sat me down in a room and was like, do you have anyone with you? I was like, yeah, my mom's in the waiting room, but I don't want her to come in. She has my daughter. I don't want her to come in. She's like, are you sure? Yeah, no, go ahead. And she's like, okay, well, it is cancer. And I just like, you know, burst into tears because like it didn't, I don't think it crossed my mind that that was a possibility. I thought they were going to say, you know, it's a cyst and we want to keep an eye on it and we're going to follow up every six months or something like that. It just, it kind of blew my mind. Like, yeah, I, I'm. This is the first time I've ever heard a doctor's office not give that news over the phone. Yeah, um, every I'm so single other time. By it's that every yes. time. Every no, I have. This is your story. Is the first story I've actually heard a doctor's office say, "Please come in. I want to tell you this face to face." Yeah. <laughs> that, um. So so then what happened? I mean, obviously your mom's there. She's the first person to know. Um, do you call her into the room? Like, what? No, I kind of, it was like a very, it's like this weird, awkward moment. I should also say this new doctor is a woman. She's beautiful and she's probably younger than me. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just sitting there. I'm like, man, I'm like crying and thinking to myself, like, she must feel so uncomfortable right now. (laughs) Like, why am I thinking about how she's feeling? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, But then it was kind of like, I went into like, okay, I want to get out of here. I don't want to be here. Like, what's the next move? I need to get out of this room. I want to go home. I don't want to be here. Um, So they just were like, here's all of your reports. We recommend that you go to either NYU or MSK. Um, 
you, you know, call them, make an appointment. And if you need anything at all from us, just call us. We can send your records wherever you need them to go. They were, you know, incredibly supportive, walked me out of the office. And I had really like gathered myself up and stopped crying and got myself together. And then as soon as I open the door into the waiting room and I see my mom and my daughter and my friend, Julie, sitting there, I just burst into tears. So I, <laughs> I just mm-hmm. ran out. And obviously they knew something was wrong. Um, but in hindsight, I think it was good that my friend already knew and I didn't have to, I didn't really have to tell her. So it mm-hmm. kind of like opened the door for like telling the rest of our friend group. And like, she helped me get everybody together. So I could be like, Hey, this is what's going on. Um, but yeah, so I just, we went home and I called my husband and I don't, I feel like the rest of the day, I don't really remember. It was such a blur. Like he came home from work, obviously. And I think I told him over the phone. Um, and I called, I decided to go to Memorial Sloan Kettering um, because my neighbor, who is a good friend of mine, works there. She's an oncology nurse. So we actually met, I have to give... Um, you know, a little shout out to my neighbor. Cause I, I am not a religious person by any means. Um, but I do feel like people are put into your life at the, the right time. Mm-hmm. Like people are sent to you by someone, you know, mm-hmm. maybe some higher power or something. So during the time where I was really struggling with my daughter and, um, having a lot of anxiety, this new family moved in across the street and I kept telling my husband, I think they have a baby. I, th- I think I saw they have a baby who, who's probably the same age as Amelia and like was stalking them through the window. And then um, one day we both happened to be outside and we introduced ourselves and just got to chatting and we would go for walks together. Um, her daughter was just a couple of months older than my daughter. Um, and, you know, over time we were, we like opened up to each other and I'm like, I, like I'm struggling. And she's like, I'm struggling so bad. Like we just developed this friendship where we would text each other. Like, can you come outside for five minutes? Like, let's just get the babies outside. I need an Mm -hmm. adult conversation. Um, and we would say to each other all the time, like you saved my sanity. I was losing my mind. And she would say, no, you, you saved mine. Like, so obviously when I was diagnosed, she is a nurse at Memorial Sloan Kettering. She was one of the first people I told, and, um, I went over to her house and, you know, we're, she cried with me and we somehow started laughing together and her poor husband walked in and we're like crying and laughing at the same time. He's like, what is going on here? This is so weird. <laughs> um, but she was just, she is just a person that I feel like was put into my life to help me through all of this. And I said to her, you know, it's like, I really wish that, it was about the babies. And now I see it was about something so much more. More. Um, So she actually came with us to my first appointment and she had offered, she said, you know, I can come with you and just take notes so that you and Sean, my husband's name is Sean. I don't know if I said that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's going to kill me because I mentioned like five other people before. (laughs) Um, You know what it is that we're just so used to them being there, you know, that right. it's, it's a <laughs> right. given. Like, of course you are the number one. You know that. We forget. <laughs> um, so she offered, she said, you know, I can come with you guys and you guys can just focus on listening and not having to write anything down. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of like, no, oh, I don't know. I don't think we need that. And then when I thought about it, I was like, I just want you to sit there and hold my hand and not be writing notes. So she came with us, um, which really made it so much easier because not only were we free to just listen, but she also, she's an oncology nurse. So she also like understands a lot of the words that we're hearing for the first time. You know, she knows what these things are, what these drugs are. She's heard of them. Um, so yeah, that was super helpful to have her. Well, there yeah, with it's us. like you become a student of breast cancer. So having somebody mm-hmm. that has studied it already and understands it, um, and taking that person to your appointments is a huge benefit um, when it yeah. comes to the anxiety. Number one, and really the comprehension of it's like a different language with the, like what's happening. You're like, what? What is that? What, what kind of treatment? What are the other yeah. options? And it's um, this. Go ahead. 
no, I was going to say, so um, how much longer after they told you that did you, were you able to go to see your oncologist? One week. Okay. Um, so it took some time to get like the mammogram films over mm-hmm. there. Um, but also my, the oncologist that I saw, she only works in Manhattan on Fridays and she's in Long Island the rest of the time. So I don't know if it was, if that was the reason why it took a week or she was just the doctor that they chose for me. I'm not sure, but it was a week. And then, um, you know, your first appointments are it, there's like so much information. They're like, okay, we're going to do, I did, um, five months of chemo and then like, you're going to probably need a mastectomy. And then after that, we'll do radiation. And you're also going to be on immunotherapy for a year and all these things. And by the way, do you want to have more children? And you're like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like we, we planned on having more children. Um, okay. So you have a month to go and do fertility treatments. We'll give you one month and we're starting treatment. And on, I think I saw the doctors the first time on August 17th, they're like, you're starting treatment on September 14th. So go and do fertility treatments. And I think it was the following, that was a Friday, the following Tuesday or Wednesday, we're in, um, we're at Weill Cornell speaking with fertility doc- doctors. And they're like, you could start today if you want. <laughs> and it's like, okay, a week ago, I didn't know that I had cancer. And now yeah. we're like talking about starting IVF drugs like tonight. Like, I, can I have like a day or two to think, you know, not that I needed to think about it because I knew I wanted to have more children, but it's just, you know, they ask you things like, do you, are you considering surrogacy? And it's like, well, why wouldn't I be able to carry my own child? You know, Mm -hmm. like these aren't things that you think about until you're in that position. And most people that go the route of IVF have had a lot of time to think about all of these things. And we're just like, you know, we found out four days ago that I have cancer and now like we have to make all of these decisions. You have to make these. Yeah. And they're, they're really lifelong decisions. And it's, it's not that you don't want kids. It's more just like processing that entire concept of going onto this, into this place, not only cancer treatment, but now all these other treatments that ladder up to, um, my womanhood, you know, like it's an attack on my womanhood. I've been able to produce children before. And now Mm -hmm. because I went and took this one test that told me I'm positive for this one thing. Now my womanhood is being compromised. And so while it, and I, and I think that your story is so incredible because when I look at this, I'm like in this one year, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like this one year of your life, (laughs) you became a mother and then we're diagnosed with breast cancer. Like even just hearing you talk about the anxiety of becoming a mom and um, I, so many women can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And I'm so thankful that you are vulnerable and honest about that because it is so hard to be a brand new mom. And it it's there's so much that you just have no idea. You, you mm-hmm. hear, but you don't understand it until you go through it. And I feel like it's the same thing with breast cancer. You hear yeah. things and you're like, you, you've been exposed, like, okay, cool, I'll do grace, I'll wear pink and mm-hmm. here's breast cancer. You've been exposed and then you, and then you have breast cancer and it's a, it's a whole other ball game in a sense. Like it, what is spoken and what you hear about in the stories, just like becoming a mom, it's like, oh no, this is, it's hard. And yeah. I think it's almost comparable, not, not cancer and being a mom, just saying the unknown, like you just mm-hmm. don't know what to expect until you're right in the thick of it. And you're like, yeah. oh, this is what breastfeeding feels like. You know yeah. what? This sucks. <laughs> I remember when people would ask me like, how long are you going to breastfeed for? I was like, until the end of the day. And then <laughs> yeah. I'll let you know tomorrow if I decide and to we'll breastfeed see tomorrow. How yep. <laughs> we'll <laughs> see how tomorrow goes. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't I like put a so plan much, together. <laughs> there's so much like embarrassment or shame about it. And I think I still feel some of that. Like it, it isn't easy for me to say, like, I probably had some sort of postpartum anxiety going mm-hmm. on because I think of myself as like a, um, like a strong person in that sense. Um, but I, I think the hardest part was that I expected to be so good at it. And I was like, mm-hmm. I think I'm really bad at this. And like, 
you know, how we're many times? We're all bad at it. Oh, we're all bad at it in the beginning. Yeah. And we, it's, it's, it wasn't you, trust me. Yeah, you yeah. need a community. And, yeah. and again, like, you know, that, that saying of people are sent to you for a reason. Like mm-hmm. I remember when I, when I had my son, um, you know, the things they don't tell you, like the non-sleep that oh. is like the torch, like it the sun it would start torture. setting and I, and I would start like almost going kind of crazy. Like, <laughs> oh my God, I'm, I'm not going to sleep tonight and I'll yeah. be up all night with this kid. And luckily what the world, the universe sent me, you know how you got your neighbor. I mm-hmm. had a Facebook pen pal. Um, so if you are in the CrossFit community, you probably know Sage Bergner. Um, she's a weight, her dad, Mike Bergner's, uh, you know, great oh, Olympic awesome. weightlifting coach, his daughter, she lived in Italy at the time. So when I was awake at three in the morning, <laughs> I literally maybe had met Sage once in my lifetime in person, but I just, you know, she was on Facebook and I would see that she would be the only person awake yeah. <laughs> at three in the morning. And I knew she had just had a baby. Like we kind of mm. were pregnant together and we knew that through social media. And so one night, like at three in the morning, I just pinged her and I was like, are you, are you awake? (laughs) I'm, I'm so scared. I'm alone. And this baby won't go to bed and he's crying and my breasts hurt really bad. I feel like people tell you about that, but you don't get it until you're in in the, in the thick of it. And And um, so when you said that, yeah. And, and you said that and it's like, I do, I'm in the same way. I'm not religious. I believe in the universe. I believe we're all connected for a reason. I believe everyone is in your life for a purpose. I believe you have your own purpose. Um, So saying that really is, you know, us finding that deeper purpose of breast Mm -hmm. cancer, us finding that, that why, you know, like instead of saying, why me saying, okay, well now it's me. So what do I do with this? Like, how do I, how do I bring this and bring purpose to it? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's, and, and I, and I think another thing that doesn't get talked about enough is the fertility treatments and the te- and yeah. all of those decisions that have to happen in such a short amount of time. So I, the hardest part of that, um, aside from, you know, like you're obviously very emotional learning that you, you have cancer, um, and then they pump you full of these hormones and then you can't exercise because they're like, yep. well, if you exercise, you could get ovarian torsion and blah, blah, blah. You know, they like scare the crap out of you that you can't exercise during <laughs> IVF, which is fine. Like I, but that's my stress relief. That's my outlet. And so it's like, okay, so, um, I have literally, I have cancer growing inside of me and we're like faking my body into a pregnancy that we're going to then like not have and put it in Mm -hmm. a little test tube and freeze it. And then I'm going to go do chemo for five months. Um, you know, it like (laughs) a little bit of a stressful time. And then we decided to back out of, selling our house and buying the house in Long Island, which, uh, cost us a lot of money because they didn't let us out of the contract without taking our money. Um, that really sucked. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's just add another icing on yeah. the cake for this year. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, then I started chemo and, so my first appointment with my doctor, she's explaining, you know, the, um, what I really liked about her was that she was very direct and there was no, well, you have some options. You can choose this or this. She was like, this is the plan. This is what you're doing. And, um, I really liked that about her because I obviously don't have a medical degree or I'm terrible at science. I like a doctor with confidence. Um, mm-hmm. even if it's faked, I don't care. <laughs> you know what you're talking about. Give me the facts. Yeah. (laughs) So she said, you know, we'll start with, um, four rounds of AC chemo and uh, about two weeks after that first treatment, all of your hair is going to fall out. And, you know, I had already been at MSK for a few hours by then. And that was the first time I cried. And I was like, well now I'm like, I'm embarrassed because I'm crying about losing my hair. Like, that's not what I should be crying about. And my doctor said, this is actually usually where people cry. Um, Because you're learning, like, yeah, you are going to look like a cancer patient. (laughs) Um, So Mm -hmm. I decided to do the cold cap therapy. And um, it actually worked pretty well for me. Um, I had, you had, there was someone else on the podcast who talked about it. And her experience was a little different than mine. Like, mine was a lot easier. Like, they have machines. So MSK has... The breast center. So 
everyone being treated there is there for breast cancer. It's not like, um, it's not, uh, a general, I mean, MSK treats all cancers, but, um, the breast center is specifically for breast cancer. So every room has, um, the machine in it to work the, um, the cold cap. So my experience with it was easier. I mean, it's, it's definitely uncomfortable, but it worked. So I was happy with that. Was it, did they automatically give you that option or was it something that you had? So they, because I know in the, I know, um, our, uh, we have a, a woman in our community in UK and she was like, Oh no, it's just a part of your treatment. Like they just, everybody gets yeah, cold caps. It's also like, like oh. covered by, it's covered by insurance also, I think out there. It wasn't yeah, covered. So it, w- it wasn't covered. Okay. No. I just wanted to clarify. And um, I was like, man, I need to, company... I get diagnosed with breast cancer. I'm going to the UK. <laughs> yeah. Right. They, um, I think the company is either a British or Australian company that makes it. Um, but so they, they told me about it. Uh, I think my nurse told me about it as an option. And, but they were like, you have like a 22% chance of keeping half of your hair. And I was like, I, I'm going to take it. I had like mm-hmm. a one in eight chance of getting breast cancer to begin with in my lifetime. And the fact that I got it so young, I'm like, these, you know, low chances are working for me right now. Yeah. So I'm going to go with it. Um, so I did and it worked out. Oh. Uh, what, what, what stage did they diagnose you at? I was diagnosed at stage two. They never said A or B. So I guess I could assume it was A, but, um, so I was ERPR negative and HER2 positive. Um, so my understanding is usually the, um, hormone driven cancers are more slow growing and the HER2 positive is pretty quick growing. Mm-hmm. Um, like my, I asked my oncologist because, you know, you think about, um, my daughter was only nine months at the time. I'm like I breastfed her and I also carried her inside this body that was growing cancer. I said, you know, was that like, how long do you think it's been there? And she said, uh, it was probably less than a year, which was sort of comforting. But in my mind, I'm like, well, a year ago I was still pregnant. Yeah. Um, and six months ago I was breastfeeding. So, <laughs> Um, so did it all kind of start making sense with the things that was happening with your body during labor and, you know, all the things that I think that your expectations of what you would have been able to do as a, as a athletic woman, as a fit woman to, you know, birth your child and do the birthing probably that you had hoped for and breastfeeding and all these things. I do, in my personal opinion, I think that this is a huge piece to that puzzle of yeah, your body, I, your body almost either protecting you or giving you some signals. Yeah. I think that, um, definitely for the breastfeeding, I think it was related. And, you know, I think, I think my daughter knew something was wrong because, you know, I was producing milk. I don't, I definitely didn't have like an oversupply. I wouldn't say things were like going so smoothly, but it was, she stopped nursing. It's not that she didn't know how to latch or anything like that. She just stopped. She would, it was almost like she would latch and nurse for 30 seconds and then pull away crying. So it's almost like, what did it taste bad? Did she know, you know, like I, I'll never know, but I just think maybe, maybe she saved my life by stopping breastfeeding, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's, um, I, I think that again, just being such a, a new mom and this all happening so quickly after having a child and breastfeeding and, and doing those things that your, your reproductive parts are for, right? Like that's what mm-hmm. we, as women, we get to produce, um, children, reproduce children. And, um, and honestly, breast cancer comes in and destroys that, you know, and, and the fact that number one, that you were, um, blessed to have a child before this Mm -hmm. diagnosis is a miracle in itself because who knows if you would have waited or, you know, what that would have looked like if you would have waited to, and then found out you had breast cancer and then, or if you would even figured it out without your child, you know, so it's like, um, gosh, that's a, such a blessing 
Um, yeah. I mean, if she and, hadn't stopped nursing, wow. I would have just always assumed that hard spot that I felt was like a clogged duct or something. Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have gone to the doctor because I would have expected them to say, no, this is something to do with breastfeeding. You know, it's, there's nothing wrong. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, she is like the blessing <laughs> of all blessings because throughout treatment, you know, you do chemo and you feel okay. And then all of a sudden you feel like crap, like it hits you a couple of days later and you can't get out of bed. And, um, you know, my mom was a tremendous help. She would come over and just spend the entire day with us and just watch my daughter and let me, you know, do whatever I needed to do, lay in bed. Um, and my mom's a retired nurse, so <laughs> She knew how to take care of me. She, you were so protected. Like, I was, it was like the, I'm so lucky, really. <laughs> it was like the universe just was like, "We're here." Yeah, <laughs> welcome. Yeah, for sure. Um, how did your husband? How did your husband handle everything? He's like, um, he is like the strong, silent type, and oh, I don't know if I can do this without crying. So um, it's okay. <sighs> I feel like I, um, he, he lost his, both of his parents pretty young. Um, his dad, when he was uh, 24, um, to like complications from diabetes and then his mom to pancreatic cancer uh, about a year and a half before we met. And, um, you know, he doesn't talk about it a lot. So when he talks about his parents, I like hang on every word because I want to know everything I could know about them. Um, so I always thought, well, I am going to be healthy, (laughs) you know, like I take care of myself. I exercise. I've always exercised. I eat well, you know, I maintain a healthy weight. I don't smoke. I can't say that I don't drink (laughs) because I drink. Um, but I just always thought, well, I can be healthy for him. Like he will always have me in his life. And this diagnosis almost felt like, don't do this to him. Mm. And so you didn't even get to meet his parents at all. No. Oh my gosh. But he has uh, two incredible sisters who I love. Um, I love that. I love that you're so emotional. I love that you're so emotional about this because I think that, um, for we as women, I think that, you know, our husbands are just a, a, a a piece of us, right. That again, we don't even think about it. It's like, of course he was there. Of course that was the first person I talked to that. Of course that's the person I have first person I think of. Um, and I think that they get missed in this, in these stories so much, you know, and, and I think that you not even being able to talk about it, about how this impacted him is it validates how important husbands are. Yeah. And how and I mean, big, he was, big they he are was in these stories. There, you know, he was there for everything. Like when we did the fertility treatments, I joked with him because he gave me every single shot, which ended up being like three or four shots a day. And, um, you know, he's a, his mom was a nurse also. And he was like, I think she'd be proud at, you know, how I've done this. And, I thought so too, but in my, I also joked with him because I was like, I feel like you're taking a little bit of like joy in sticking me with a needle <laughs> four times a day. Um, but, you know, he like just stepped up and was there. He came to every appointment, every treatment, um, just everything, you know, he's just there and like, whatever you need, you know, and I said, I think I want to try the cold cap. Okay, let's do it. Let's try it. And it just... Yeah. He's just like a rock, you know? And you went through five, did you say five months of chemo? Yeah. So I did four rounds of AC. One of those is that red devil. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I did 12 weeks of Taxol and then a year of immunotherapy, which were Herceptin and Progetta. So and you're coming out like pretty recent. I mean, diagnosed in I, what, 2018. Yeah. I finished my immunotherapy in October and then 99 days later I ran the marathon. <laughs> oh my goodness. So they, 
Yeah. And I, um, so I, I finished chemo in February of 2019. And then I had my mastectomy about a month later. And I know, um, a lot of surgeons now are trending towards, um, like not doing a mastectomy because it's so radical, but my doctor, my surgeon is this Italian doctor. And (laughs) he's, when we were talking about what type of surgery I would need, he said, well, you know, he was recommending mastectomy because he said, well, you, the tumor is uh, pretty big and your breast is very small. Yeah. Like it makes it so much better with an Italian accent. <laughs> I could do this all day. Like, Let's oh, talk about please. my breath. So, yeah. Cool. Thank you. Not only do I have a lot of cancer in there, but they're really small to begin with. Thank you. <laughs> so I did um I I decided to do a bilateral mastectomy. Um, you know, I thought about maybe preserving the left breast, but even in, and I would advise any woman in treatment not to read the reports from like any mammogram or anything like that, unless you're not even, you're not a doctor. So don't read them because I read all of them and would like Google words and be like, Oh my God, what does this mean? And then the doctors wouldn't even mention it. And if I asked, they'd be like, no, that's, that's not what that means. Um, but I read, I had an MRI after chemo ended and they said, you know, like the cancer's all gone. And I go home and read the report and I'm like, well, it says that I need a biopsy on the left side. And I'm like, this is going to be my life forever because I have very dense breast tissues. They're always going to want to do biopsies, especially with my history. I'm going to have to go for mammograms all the time. So I was like, forget it. We'll just do the bilateral. Hopefully they'll look better. And, you know, I thought about, well, do I want to try again at breastfeeding if we have another child? And I thought, well, I'd rather just worry about the child I have now mm-hmm. and hope that I can have another child and go from there. Um, so, yeah. And then I did radiation. And actually, while I was in radiation, I met um, Sarah Bronstor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she came out to New York to visit um, the gym, probably Outer Bridge CrossFit, mm-hmm. which is yep. not my gym. That's actually the gym my mom goes to, but they were the number one fundraisers mm-hmm. that year. And my gym was number two. <laughs> Your mom <gasps> beat <can't>, you. <laughs> I know. Well, actually, John, who owns Outer Bridge, he does a great job every year. I think he's always, I think he wins. Like yeah, the top he does. Of the state, every, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so why Sarah mom, probably went out yeah, there. <laughs> exactly. So my mom actually met Sarah because she was visiting the gym, and my mom was like, "Can I?" Um, I think she took Sarah's number. I was like, "Maureen, you have to reach out to her. Um, I, I know she'd like to meet you." So she actually came to my gym, also did a workout with us, and she was so sweet. Um, she is. Yeah. So I was still in radiation then because I remember I was really late to my appointment because I was talking too much with her. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I, that now it's like, is it like, um, barbell boobs is a whole, means something totally different now from 2012 of wear pink and do this horrible workout grace that I hate. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally because different that, now. So that year, um, 2018, my gym did a barbell, a barbell for boobs event and, the owner of my gym currently is actually my friend who introduced me to CrossFit in the first place, my friend Tom, and he knew what was going on, but it was so early on for me. Like we didn't even talk about like, do you want to say something or should we talk? Mm -hmm. It was like, I'll show up. I'm going to like put my hat on and just Mm -hmm. hang out in the back. And, you know, um, but we did raise a lot of money. So a lot of people at the gym knew what was going on, but you know, didn't make a big thing out of it. So then, um, this past year I was, I ran the New York city marathon for Fred's team, which is Memorial Stone Kettering's like charity running team. And, um, so he helped put on an event to raise money for that, uh, which was, you know, super generous of him. And, Mm -hmm. 
I, I, re, I ended up raising like $13,000 for Fred's team, wow. which was incredible. Yeah. It just so shows like amazing. the generosity of people. You know, I would get donations and I would be texting, you know, my mom or my sister or friends and be like, do you know who this person is? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah. That's a friend <laughs> of so-and-so. And you're like, this is incredible that people have like stepped up in that way for someone they don't know because it's important, you know, it's important to me yes. and they're mm-hmm. friends with my mom. So they know it's important to her or something like that. It's just so incredible how, yeah, that's how, how easy it is for somebody to, I think that it's hard when you're going through cancer to like, it's hard to tell people what kind of support you need mm-hmm. and they all want to help you. And so the minute yeah. that you even put out anything to say, Hey, if you want to help me this time, like, or I'm doing this, I'm doing this run, or I'm doing this event. I think that people are so open to helping you because they want to help you and nobody knows how to help you. Like yeah. I built barbells for boobs because I didn't know how to help my friend, Sessie. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. And um, so I think that that's, that is a piece to it is it's a lot, it's allowing people to support you mm-hmm. with something that that you want, right? Like you want to run this, you want to raise money to help other people. I want to support you doing that. Right. And, you know, I know everyone has the best of intentions, but if I got another bouquet of flowers, I was going to throw them (laughs) out the window. I'm like, (laughs) I used to love getting flowers and now I'm like, stop sending (laughs) me flowers. It's traumatizing. Food food is always welcome. Wine is alcohol. (laughs) Alcohol is fine. After chemo, alcohol was allowed in. yeah, that was the silver lining was getting to see like just the generosity and kindness of other people. Like John from Outer Bridge was it I don't know what do you get the pink barbell for for being the top fundraiser in top the state? Top fundraiser. Um no, it, uh, it depends. Or, oh, did he? Yeah. The barbells for boobs, Alico one? Oh yeah. man. Um yeah. well last year, when did he earn it? Cuz it would have been top like 10 teams. Like yeah, he must have been in the top 10. Of all I'm sure he was. It, yeah. it, I'm not sure if it was 2018, but he always has a big fundraiser and always raises tons of money because he has some so survivors awesome. at his gym too. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and now, and now um, obviously, Barbell Shabubs is even evolving from 2012 and now you get to be mm-hmm. kind of a part of our community. And you, you and I talked about this a little bit offline of you were this dream girl of mine, um, <laughs> of, you know, kind of we, we launched a scholarship program. We launched a collective and I felt like we were still missing this piece of support. And Mm -hmm. even though a a woman may not need that financial support, there's a part to being an athlete and that mindset of an athlete. Like even when, when I got pregnant, I was like, I would, you know, I looked at all the, this was in 2012. So, uh, birth fit wasn't around. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to find ways to continue my training while I was pregnant. Um, and all of the regulations and, you know, recommendations, I was like, okay, those are nice for like somebody that's like sits on a couch all day, but like I'm an athlete and I train like an athlete. So what are my, I'm different. So (laughs) like, tell me what I can do, not what that person on the couch can do. And so I think that there's this, what CrossFit has done, I think is elevated a lot of individuals fitness levels and a lot Mm -hmm. of the standards and recommendations out there are not you know, we're kind of, if you do CrossFit or if you're an athlete and you continue with your sport, like, I love how you said you, you found your sport. Like, that's beautiful. Like if you have yeah. something that's where we should be athletes our entire lives. Right. And so mm-hmm. if you are an athlete, what does that look like after breast cancer? Like there's not a lot of resources or support after that. And right. so I call you my dream child because my, my dream girl, because having you fill out the application and seeing your you answering our questions of, no, you don't need financial support, but you need some type of support f- with your physical activity. Um, yeah. And that's that you wanted to be around community that mm-hmm. of women that have been through what you've been through, but also want to get a pull up or also want to work on their yeah. snatch or their clean and, and jerk. It's so funny because it's like you said, the community, um, just being in the support group, just while I was training for the marathon, um, So I kind of picked up my training right after radiation ended and I never really had any issues with neuropathy or anything like that from chemo. Um, but starting in September, 
my hand started to go numb on my right side. And I'm like, this is, this is not a coincidence. I've had surgery on this side. I've had lymph mm-hmm. nodes removed. I've had radiation on this side. And all my doctors were kind of like, yeah, I mean, maybe it's neuropathy. I'm sorry. That sucks. You know? And then I kind of just had to deal with it because none of my doctors really thought it was a big deal or anything. I finally convinced one of my doctors to send me for an MRI and everything came back fine. But just recently someone posted in the support group, Hey, I started running more and my hand keeps going numb. I'm like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, why didn't I say something before? Because all these women are responding. Oh, that happens to me too. That happens to me too. I'm like, (laughs) I had the support here and I didn't even ask anybody, you know, I was just like, well, they don't, they don't like to run. Like I like to run, you know, (laughs) but there are people who run. There are, they're out there. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's been, um, it, it, again, how we are evolving barbells for boobs and providing the resources after diagnosis, like the support group was just, again, like us traveling all around the country, meeting people and meeting women that have been diagnosed. And I'm like, oh, you need to meet so-and-so and you need to meet so like, let's just build a group. And then, like, then yeah. it just continued from there. And so, um, you know, now we have o- over 300 women in this group, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, and so it feels like now, such a safe, supportive oh, space. It's, it's so safe. And some of yeah. the conversations there, I'm like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and it really is like, it, it's about physical activity. That's the, I feel like there's a lot of support groups out there. There's a lot of programs out there to support you after diagnosis. The one unique piece that we all have in common at the Barbells for Boobs level is physical activity. Mm-hmm. That the, a barbell kind of represents, in my opinion, like movement and yeah. challenge and passion and moving your body and finding that like I I found my sport of weightlifting. Like I think that I found it when I was 29, unfortunately, but like mm-hmm. I found my sport. I'm like, this is my sport. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's the one thing that you all have in common. And that's what mo- the majority of the conversations are about is what my side effects of breast cancer and how how that's impacting my ability to train or perform or be an athlete. Um, that's uh, the majority of the conversations happening there about working out. (laughs) Yeah. But that's what I want to, that's what we want to talk about, you know? Yep. Yep. What was your greatest lesson from breast cancer? Oh, you know, I, I think I learned a lot of things about myself. Um, you know, I think I'm a little bit tougher than I might've thought. I was like, if you think about like, how would you handle going through all this stuff? I'm like, I think I did a pretty good job of it. Maybe I did a better job than I thought I would have done. Um, man, my biggest lesson, I guess it's just that everything is temporary, (laughs) you know, the good moments and the bad. So you know, when something good is happening, don't rush it, just enjoy it because it's not going to last forever. But then on the flip side of that, the bad moments, like you feel like crap because you're going through treatment. It's not forever. It is going to pass. So just, you know, get through it. You can do Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) I think that is like, you just have to tell yourself this isn't going to last forever. It's so crazy. We have, um, I don't know if you know of Allison Lyle. She was a survivor that I met probably in 2012 and uh, the very first survivor that I knew from our community that uh, we lost to to metastatic breast cancer mm-hmm. in December of 2017. And we actually, I have a, a quote of hers and it's a beautiful plaque that my team had made. And it's, um, it's her saying that... Um, um, to remind herself that all of this is just temporary. Um, and it's, it's that same, same idea. Um, because she was saying that it was, it was an Instagram, one of her last Instagram posts that she put up was Mm -hmm. her wearing a barbells for boob shirt and her doing grace, um, for the first time RX since she had been diagnosed for her second time as, um, you know, stage four, she was 39 years old when she had passed. Um, but it's, I'm like pulling up the, the quote right now because I don't want to mess it up. It's been one of those weeks um, 
where I need a reminder like this, this is one of my happy places. And it's literally her putting a barbell over her head. This wow. is my long-term goal. And she goes on to continue. Uh, but for today, I need to be reminded this is all temporary and I will soon be back to the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's, I've, I've heard it before. And I think that that is such a huge life lesson that <clears throat> until something really hard happens in your life, it's, that's, it's, it's a lesson that we take for granted. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a thing we take for granted, the joys of life. I don't think that we enjoy them enough and long enough yeah. and we don't focus on them enough. And the pains, I think that we, we, we put too much energy into the pain. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's some benefit to sitting in your, you know, like being present in those painful times because they teach you a lesson whatever it is, you learn from it and you grow from it and you become a better person and moving forward with your life. Yeah. That's beautiful. Ooh, nice, nice little, nice little lesson reminder for today. I've been like zooming through my day all day today in meetings and I got to slow down. The, today um, was temporary. Today was temporary. This today podcast is, is temporary. <laughs> is there anything else you would like to share with us? This has been such a fun hour. Um, I feel like it's been another four hours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could just continue this. Um, <laughs> no, I want to thank you for um, starting Barbells for Boobs and giving us that community. You know, it's been really helpful. Like, I don't do therapy. I don't, you know, do any of that sort of stuff, but just knowing I have that community, if I have something going on that I need to get out, like that's where I can go. And you gave that to us. So thank you. My pleasure. I feel like we all kind of, we all, we all get that, right. We all get the gift of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think it was just an idea and I really think the community ran with it. You know, we just kind of put the puzzle together and everyone's just continued to build it, you know, and it's, it takes you all being vulnerable and asking questions and mm-hmm. asking for support and building that safe environment. Um, but I, you know, I just, I'm just thankful I get to, I'm <laughs> thankful to just be a part of it. I really am like, yeah. <laughs> I I am still trying to figure out, I, I, and I, I don't share this a lot and I, I struggle with this a lot and I've fought it probably more since my sister's passed mm-hmm. of like that, that question of like, almost like why me? And, and I do my best not to, because I never knew that breast cancer was going to be so impactful in my life. And I never yeah. knew that, that, but sometimes I just have to get out of my own way and just be, and just let it like, Z, this is your life and Mm -hmm. you have to make the best of it. And these are the things that you get to do. And a lot of people don't get to do these things and you have a voice and you got to use it. And this is what you were put on this earth to do. And some days I fight it so hard because I'm like, why? Like, why does what I have to do bring so much pain and so much hardship? Um, And and I don't think that you bring joy to a painful situation or comfort. I don't think that what you do brings pain. Well, I, I guess for me for like losing what breast cancer has yeah. done to people I love and I, and I yeah. see it in the community and the, the women that we've lost and there's those painful things or, you know, just, yeah. you know, we, we do see the struggle. We see the side of breast cancer that a lot of people don't see and right. we get exposed to things that are hard all the time. Right. And mm-hmm. so maybe I just, I just see it because I talk to like 200 of you guys a week. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, no, no. no but, overload. <laughs> <laughs> overload, overload. No, no, no. But it's, um, it's, it's such a beautiful gift that I get to be a part of this. And I still kind of sit on the, I'm just a spectator of it and mm-hmm. I've never had breast cancer, but I get to, I, you know, I get to be a part of the community in a, in my own unique special way. And um, yeah. I just, I, I, as much as I try to fight it, I'm so grateful and so content with why I'm here. Like, I don't know. I've just, it was like, this year was like the year of acceptance. <laughs> like, just Good. sit down. Through those stages. <laughs> <laughs> just see, I don't see a therapist. You guys are my therapy too. The, just same. sit down. Z. Same. It's all <laughs> therapy. Well, where can all of our followers find you? You're on the Instagram. 
Um, my, yeah, my Instagram is my old, uh, my like original AOL name. <laughs> um, it's MoBear31, M-O-E-B-E-A-R 31. The 31 doesn't mean anything. It's just a random number. <laughs> um, I'm on Facebook and I'm in the group, Morning Green. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing your story and, um, yes. And having the courage to schedule that podcast. I know that this is your first podcast and probably your first time really telling the full story. Am I the first one to cry? No, no. Okay. No. Not at all. Zero, zero. I, I cry. Anybody else crying? Oh. <laughs> I've cried. Embarrassing. No, it's not embarrassing at all. You did a fantastic job. I'm so proud Thank of you. you. Thank um, you. Big thanks to uh, our producer Chris Hansen for in- doing the sound engineer and teasing the guests before they come yes. on. Um, but don't forget, everyone everything is temporary so if you're stuck and if you're in a rut right now just get through it it's temporary and if you are in a good place and there's goodness happening take the time to enjoy it don't miss out on it but everything is temporary words from our friend maureen here thanks for joining us um and that's lights out for the behind the brawl podcast 